The following audio is a recording from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. We began teaching through the book of Philippians, which has been, I hope, uh, a really great encouragement for you. That's been the title of our series. It's the book of encouragement. We began the first Sunday in 2015, if you could believe it, almost five months ago, we began teaching through Philippians. Hope you've been encouraged. Uh, that's been the hope. The aim of this is that we would be encouraged. I believe this is the aim of, of Paul, the writer who's writing this letter to this church, to encourage us in our faith. And I want to share, before we read this passage, you're finding your place, um, kind of where we're going next. I'm really thrilled about this. The next couple weeks, we're going to be taking uh, just kind of a couple out-of-series weeks where we're going to take a breather from Philippians and um, before we get into the, new, the next thing. And then the first week in June, we're going to be spending time in Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the longest book in the Bible, 176 verses. We're going to be studying through um, Psalm 119. If you're not familiar with it, this is going to be a great time to get familiar with it. We're calling it, I love your word. There's been nothing more impactful in my life, uh, in my relationship with God, than, than the opportunities that I've had to have a thoughtful, intentional study of God's word. And we're going to answer a few questions in our time together when we go through this study, where we take a several weeks and unpack Psalm 119. Here are the questions that I want you to even think about now as we kind of whet your appetite for it. What should we believe about the Bible? We're going to talk about what we should believe about the Bible. We should talk, we're going to also answer the question, what should we feel about the Bible? What should the Bible, how, how should it engage my heart and my emotions and my feelings? And lastly, what do I do with the Bible? What do I do with these words that, that God has given to us? We have some serious opinions about Scripture. We believe that it's God's Word. We believe it's God-breathed. We believe that to disobey any word in Scripture is to disobey God Himself. Why do we believe that? Why is that important? What does it do for our lives? How do we approach it? This is important. You guys are here, and, and I hope that you're here thinking, hey, open up the Bible and teach us what it has to say. And we do that every week, and we're, we love doing that. We have an appetite for that. We open up the scriptures. It's like honey to our soul. And so we're going to spend several weeks. Psalm 119 is a love story for the word of God. So many times, I love your words. I love what you have to say, he says in this book, in this chapter, Psalm 119. And so we're going to enter into that poem, into that love poem, this affection for God's word. And I hope that we're immensely uh, uh, blessed by it. But this morning, let's finish it. Let's finish Philippians. Are you ready? All right, Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 14. Let's read. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. <clears throat> Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. 
All the saints greet you, especially those in Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. We did it. Not yet. What, what a great passage. I couldn't, we couldn't finish this without getting to this final part. You know, there's something called uh, a mixed metaphor. Maybe you're familiar with this, this terminology or what it is. A mixed metaphor is when you, you, have, you have two different things, you put two things together that normally don't go together, but when they go together, they kind of, uh, kind of enlighten what each means. It kind of brings a new meaning. You see something when these two metaphors are put together that you didn't see before. Here's an example of a mixed metaphor. Let's make like a banana and split. All right? Let's make like a baby and head out. Let's make like a bread truck and haul buns. You've heard these, right? Now, the best, of, the best mixed metaphor that I've ever heard, you know, from, from Biff, from, from Back to the Future, he, always, he was very bad at mixed metaphors. Let's act like a tree and get out of here. And then the future Biff comes back and says, it's make like a tree and leave. He wasn't good at mixed metaphors, but Paul is. Paul's an artist at it. He's wonderful at mixed metaphors. And the point of using these mixed metaphors is to to show them. I want want to put two things together that you wouldn't put together, but by putting them together, you're going to learn something new about this thing that I want you to learn. You see, the church had sent Paul, the church at Philippi had sent him a, a financial gift. They blessed him. He was in great need, and they sent, they gathered up money, and they sent a gift to him. And he's thanking them. He starts the letter. This, this whole letter is, in part, uh, inspired by his gratitude for that gift and for their friendship, for their love, for their financial gift, the way of supporting him. And he closes this letter after spending uh, several uh, opportunities to thank them he, or to encourage them in their faith. He, he now thanks them. For their gift, and he connects three things with money, with this offering, with this gift that we normally wouldn't see connected together. But in doing so, he is showing them, I, I, I want you to see something about money. I want you to see money differently. I want you to understand what your gift is really like for me, for the kingdom, for the gospel, in maybe ways that you never saw before. It's meant to make us think, oh, I really never saw money like that. I never saw it like that, but now that you put it that way, I understand. And these three things, as we're going to walk through that this morning, it's money and friendship, money and mission, and money and worship. And Paul so artfully ties these three things together and mixes these metaphors. Now before we jump into this, working through these things, you're thinking, finally came to church and I'm coming to the money talk. Now, I want, I want you to think about it in an entirely different way, and, and I hope, that's my hope, is that as we get through this, you will see it as an entirely different thing. Not a money talk, but this is a, a knowing Jesus talk. This is a worshiping Jesus. This is an entering into and being encouraged by Christ, and it just so happens to relate also to money. You see, what we've been doing in the last 19 weeks is we have allowed God's Word to encourage our heart. We've said, would you encourage me in my relationships? And Paul has encouraged us, and we have said, thank you for encouraging me. And then we've said, will you encourage me in my struggles because life is hard? And Paul says, I will encourage you in your struggles. And we say, I'm thankful for that. Would you encourage me in the gospel and how to have a steadfast faith and how to have 
internal stability in my emotions and in my mind and the way I think. And Paul says, that's what I will do. And we say, thank you. And now Paul is saying, now let me keep encouraging you. Let me encourage you with everything. Let me encourage you with your money. Let me encourage you in how you, you use your resources. And we need to say the same thing we've been saying for the last five months. We need to say, thank you. Encourage me. I want to learn. I want to hear. Strengthen my heart and my mind as it relates to everything in my life, including this. And so Paul's going to do that. He's going to encourage us. He's going to show us things that we never saw before. And so let's look at those. The first one is money and friendship. And Paul is wanting them to know, do you realize how important your friendship is? Do you realize how much we need each other? Paul says, there's no other church like you that I've had. There is no relationship with any church that I've ever had that like you guys. No other church entered into partnership with me. And the unlikely mix, the metaphor that he uses to describe this, is he's mixing money with a word that we've seen before in this book, the Greek word koinonia. He uses partnership or fellowship or participation. He's saying he's, he, uh, koinonia is this sharing of common things. And it can mean community, can mean participation. It used, it's used to describe this really meaningful connection that two people have in relationship with each other. It's a meaningful community. Normally, we might think of koinonia by getting together at a party or, or, or sharing, going out with coffee with a friend, and we're having this community. We're sharing in fellowship with one another. And Paul says, I want you to think about this relational intimacy as it relates to something else. You are participating with me in friendship because you have given me this gift. Paul says, if it were not for you, I would be empty. I would be wanting. I would be without. And it's such a, a vivid metaphor. Paul wants us to realize that their donation, their giving to Paul and, and his ministry went beyond just a financial gift. He wants them to know, do you realize how much of a disadvantage I would be without you in my life? You were the only ones that I had this kind of relationship with. It is these, that it is, is these thoughts that lead Paul to pen the first, the first verses in Philippians where he says, I thank God for you in my prayers. You are a gift to me. Your friendship is a gift to me. Your financial gift is a blessing. Your prayers are comforting. The simple remembrance of you warms my heart. And then he says, I yearn for you with the affection of Christ himself. And they may be thinking, well, we were just kind of helping you out. And he says, no, you weren't. You don't realize what this is. This friendship, this partnership in God's work, this partnership and fellowship with me, even though we may have never even met each other. Where would I be without you? This giving to Paul was giving to the gospel ministry, and it was less like a business transaction of just doing the thing that they ought to do, and it was more like a friendship, more like a relationship. More like, I care, I see your need, I care for you, I love you, and I want you to know that I'm here. And consider this question, and I, and I want you to give me a second to flesh this out in the event that it might seem a little harsh. It's not my hope and not my intention. If you were not part of Holy Cross Church, would we suffer? <laughs> would we hurt financially? Would we hurt relationally? Would we hurt spiritually from the lack of having your encouragement in our life? 
I don't know what we would do if God did not give us blank. Are you in the blank? Many of you are the blank of Holy Cross. Sometimes I I daydream and I think of what wonderful people are here and wonderful servants who give themselves selflessly, sacrificially, humbly, cheerfully to love Holy Cross Church and the people in it. The Philippian church was Paul's blank. And it was, it's so easy in a church to gloss over such questions, to gloss over such ideas. And, and it's a question that I even tremble uh, even asking because it's difficult to ask and it's difficult to talk about. To assume that our proximity in the church and just coming and being around the church and what the church is doing and, and being around the teaching of the gospel Assuming that that immerses us in a passionate pursuit of Christ and in an intimate fellowship with God's people, fars, uh, if, if it falls far too short of what God hopes for us. And now, now hear me on this, even after I say that. Hear me this. This is not about making the grade. It's not about making that grade. It is about knowing Jesus. It is about pursuing him. It's about loving him and taking everything in our life and pushing it towards Christ. Even Paul in chapter 3, he says... He admits, hey, I am, not, I am not making the grade if the grade is Jesus. If the grade is being Christ and everything that he is, I want you to know I am not making the grade. I am falling short. I am a work in pro- progress. But I'm taking everything in my life. I'm gathering it all up, even my money, and I'm saying, how do I pursue Jesus with this? How do I know him and worship him and love others with this? And as he is saying this, he's looking to people even who, who don't make the grade, and he says, so, so join me. Would you follow me? Would you imitate me? Would you come with me as I seek to know Christ more, even in this area? Because I am learning, and I am growing, and I am maturing. And so as you look in your heart, and you look at yourself and say, I, I don't make the grade. I don't know if I would be missed. I want to say to you, we're going to Jesus. Will you join us? Will you grow with us? Will you mature in us? Because I don't have it perfectly. No one in here does. Paul, better than anybody else when it comes to moral Christianity, and he says, hey, I am falling short. I am a work in progress. And so if there is some kind of uneasiness about this idea, maybe now, this is tough to talk about. I want you to know you have been raised with Christ. I am confident that he will complete the work that he has begun in you because he loves you. Paul is preaching, he's always preaching grace to us. Even when he's pulling us out of our selfishness, even when he's challenging us, do you see that he's always still preaching the grace of Christ? He can say, you're being selfish. But look how Christ has emptied himself. That he has humbled himself and become a servant, even to the point of death. And he's given himself for you. So come on, let's follow him. Let's give everything. Let's pursue each other. Let's love each other. Let's know Christ. Let's make him our treasure because of who he is and all that he has done for us. Paul thanks them for their gift because it demonstrates to them, that, that, to him, that they are in that relationship. They are saying, we're here. We are with you. We love you. We know your need, and we're, we're here. You are important to us. Practically speaking, it is a tangible way of saying, I see your need, I care for you, I'm going to help. And that's a good friend. 
And so Paul wants us to think about money as it relates to how we pursue friendship, how we pursue relationship, how we pursue uh, authentic and meaningful connection with other people. And then he goes on and he, he keeps mixing metaphors and we go on to the second thing, money and mission. He wants to ask the question, do you realize the impact that you have on the gospel? Do you realize how far of an impact you have on the gospel? He mixes money with missions. In verse 17, he says, it's not about money. It's about the fruit of money. It is about what you get to be a part of because of your gift. So I wasn't concerned just with your gift. I wasn't just money hungry, but I'm so excited because of the fruit of what you have just done. And that is so amazing. What is the fruit? Change lives. Change lives and sinners' lives so that they can look more and more like Jesus, so they can glorify God in their life. What is the result of your gift? He's saying the world is changing. People are coming into relationship with God. People who are far off are now being reconciled by the love of Christ. And you could be excited about this. As, you, as if you were doing this very work, if, as if you are here on this mission field, being persecuted, being in prison, being tortured with threats of death, and, and, and the church growing, you're here with me because of your gift. They're giving reaches as far as the gospel goes, and its reach is eternal. Think about this. What, what brought you to Holy Cross Church? See, this is a question on on the connect card in your bulletin, it says, what brought you to Holy Cross Church? And I like seeing some of these things. You know, maybe it's my friend brought me or my parents go here or my children go here and they invited us or I was going to CVS and I saw the sign and so I walked over. And then there's some humorous things like my car, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> but I want you to trace it back even further. How did you get here? You are here at Holy Cross because today because there were people faithfully giving to the work of the gospel at Holy Cross today. You are here because a dozen people or so met in our living room in our home four, four plus years ago talking about what would it look like to create a gospel-saturated community of people where we can learn about Jesus together. You are here. Now let's go back even further. You're here because there's an organization called the Southwest Church Planning Network that thought it'd be a good idea to plant churches in Arizona. Keep tracing it even further back. We're going to take a big leap. You are here because Paul decided to go to Philippi, because he decided to preach the gospel in Ephesus, because he decided to preach the gospel in Corinth. Holy Cross exists because the Philippian church supported Paul's missionary work that would spread out of Rome, across the ocean, over the hills, and into the southwest Arizona, and into Tucson. You are here because of the faithful work of people way before you that you have never met, hundreds of generations removed. It's true. Not an ounce of our giving, not an ounce or penny of our sacrifice for the gospel ever returns empty. And Paul is saying, do you realize what you're doing? You're not just giving so that I can do work. Your gift is for the eternal kingdom. What do you want for Holy Cross? And I want to ask you that. If, if Holy Cross is your church home, what do you want? Where do you want Holy Cross to go? In five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, what impact do you want to see Holy Cross have in Tucson and in the world? It should be big, and I want you to think big. 
I'll share an example. Don't mean to embarrass anybody, so I won't use them by name. But I thought it was a great example. I said, if we, wow, that means, man, if people gave, we can get a, a new keyboard. And I said, think bigger. We can get a new church with a new keyboard. We could plant churches. We can have a, a few churches with a few keyboards. Imagine that. What can we do? Paul says, I want you to think bigger than yourselves. I want you to think bigger than my work. I want you to think of the fruit of the gospel that reaches as far as eternity. Money, it's an instrument. It's an instrument. And, and practically speaking, a healthy, growing church requires a, a lot of it. And it's a critical component to the continued growth of the health of Holy Cross Church. Absolutely. Do you have a hunger in your gut to see the gospel advance in your town and in your church? To multiply? To, to spread across our land throughout the city and the world? Do you want to see Holy Cross continue to, to reach beyond its own borders? For God to bless it, for fruit to abound, for us to be effective in every good work, for people who are far off from the love of Christ to come into a reconciled relationship with Jesus. I have an appetite for that. I have a hunger for that. That's what I want to see. And we're, we're seeing it, and I want to see it more. Where there, when there is faithful, financial stewardship and partnership in the gospel, we have greater freedom to multiply, to invest in God's work. You know, if, you, if you're a Christian, the gospel has come to you, and you know that it's changed your heart, you are a person today in the love of Christ thinking, wow, I don't deserve this. And if it can do that, if it can change the heart of a sinner, someone wandering from God, someone running from God, someone who doesn't deserve God's love, if it can do that, if it can change a person, what can it do for a city? What can it do for our world? What can it do for our very neighborhoods and our schools and in our homes? Do you want to see Holy Cross swell with the fruit of people who are being matured and the people who increasing the rest in the grace of Jesus, people who are once alienated from God and broken because of their sins, with people who are energized to say, like Paul says in our book that we read, to live as Christ, to die as gain, to sacrifice all things, to see everything in the proper perspective, and all of life is all for Jesus. I want to see that more and more. Places where there is not peace, I want to see peace brought. Places where there is not worship of Jesus, I want to see Jesus being worshiped. You know, the elders at Holy Cross are, are cheerfully committed to the advancement of the gospel, not only at Holy Cross, but all around our world. Here are a few things that we're so excited about, and I want you to know this is the fruit of your gift, of your ministry, of your faithfulness. You know, today we have a, a meeting for our Peru trip this fall. You know, Peru trip that we, uh, we've helped support financially, with encouragement, encouraging you all to participate in that, to be a part of it, to give towards it, to go. There's also a ministry in Peru called Atec that we're, uh, continue, that we're beginning to support. We've seen hundreds of, uh, hundreds of new Christians through this dental uh, mission trip in Peru. We've seen thousands of teeth being extracted. We've seen uh, thousands of toothbrushes being donated to people that have never brushed their teeth. We've seen hundreds and hundreds upon hundreds of people prayed for and encouraged. We've seen people, victims of of domestic abuse, educated, comforted. We've seen changed lives. We've seen Bibles given to an area that doesn't even have, that's never seen a Bible, so that they can learn of the gospel and hear the name of Jesus and trust in him. This is the fruit of your ministry. This is the fruit of your gift. 
When you give, you're giving to people in Peru. You're giving to the advancement of the gospel in a place that maybe you've never been or never even thought about. And now you can think about it. And now you can say, this is the fruit. This is the fruit of my gift. The Southwest Church Planning Network that I mentioned. Southwest Church Planning Network is a network we're a part of. They have a vision to plant 75 churches in the next five years. They have 25 churches being planted right now in Arizona, Oklahoma, Texas, and New Mexico. And new works are starting every month. This is the fruit of your giving. Churches being planted. The best way to spread the gospel here is to, con- is to have an aggressive vision for church planting. Church plants even in Tucson. Whether it was us paying for the seminary education of the pastor at Midtown or helping to support uh, Redemption Church downtown. This is the fruit of your ministry. Church is being planted even here in Tucson. Isn't this fun? <laughs> you did all that. God is good. God is faithful. God does this. This is the fruit of your giving. And Paul wants them to see that this isn't just a business transaction of like, you know what? Paul's done good to us. Let's, let's write him a check. Let's give him cash or whatever uh, to help him along his way. He's saying, no. Do you realize that you are investing in, 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 the, in the eternal kingdom for people that you have never seen? This is the fruit of your giving. And why do we do this? We do this because out of a conviction that all we have is God's and we are to steward it well. Out of worship, knowing that it pleases God. Out of friendship with missionaries and other Christians around the world, that we truly get to partner in friendship with, in the gospel with people all around the world out of, jo- out of joy of knowing that everything we give, nothing ever comes back empty. That every time we give, it, com- it goes and it bears fruit. You know, even when, when I see in the offering plate a little baggie with 75 cents in it, that has an eternal value. That's changing lives. That's planting churches. That's reconciling people with God as they hear the gospel and turn to it. What an amazing thing. Paul says, know that. I want you to think differently about money. And lastly, he talks about money and worship. And he wants them to ask, he wants to ask them, do you realize how much God delights in your faithful giving? Do you realize how good this is. You know, this metaphor is found in verse 18. Their gift, says, was a fragrant offering. A sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Paul's point in, in this whole book and even in this passage is not summarized in learning advice or giving a roadmap. Give me a roadmap for how I ought to live my life. His point is summed up in knowing God in worship. Knowing Jesus, pursuing Him, and worshiping Him. So we like advice, don't we? We like, we like roadmaps. Just tell me what I need to do, and, and if that's what pleases God, then I'll do that. But that's not what we're given. We're never given that. We're given Jesus. We're given Christ as the perfecter and example of our faith, and we're told, follow Him. Pursue Him. Take your entire life and worship Him with your life. We're told to worship Him. Jesus, did you, did you know that Jesus talks about money, like of all the recorded conversations, of all the topics, of all the scriptures in the Bible, 25% of the time? That's, that's, that's me preaching a sermon on giving once a month. I won't do that. But I should, just so you know. Because <laughs> Jesus did. There are over 800 verses in the Bible that cover something that has to do with managing our finances in a faithful and worshipful way. The point was never money. It was always worship. 
You cannot worship God in money, Jesus says. And there's a rich young ruler that comes up and says, hey, give me that road map. Give me that advice. Uh, what can I do? And he says, well, obey the commandments. He's like, that's great. I've, I've, I've connected all of those dots. And then he says, now go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And we see that that rich person walked away sad. He was one of the only people who ever had an encounter with Jesus and walked away sad. Because he didn't know how to worship God with his wealth. He wanted a road map, not a God to worship. And Jesus said, you need a God to worship. Your money is about worship. It's not about what you think it's about. Do you know what worship is? This is what worship is. It's a life that is lived for God, to God, through God, with God, about God, and in God. It is a life that is about all of those things, all directed to God. Verse 20 in our passage says, To God be the glory. To God the Father be the glory forever and ever. That's what this means, because it's all about God. Your money, your sacrifice, your giving, your time, your talents, your energy, your, all of your resources, your very life, it is about worshiping God with it. What does that look like? To worship God with it. So elsewhere, Paul talks about sacrifice. To use another kind of worship word, worship in the temple, bringing a sacrifice to God. And in our passage, he says, it's like a fragrant offering. And that's what it was. They would, take, they would take an offering, whether it be an animal or grain, and they would light it on fire, and it would, the smoke would go up to heaven, and it would be a fragrant offering. God would receive it. When it was given faithfully, God would receive it. It's an offering to God, a burnt offering. And then Paul says, you know what he says to us in Romans 12? He says, you're a living sacrifice. You are to be a living sacrifice with your life. This means that we are to be in our life in a pattern of continually laying down and taking up. Laying down and taking up. That's like, God I, God, I lay down my marriage at your feet for your glory as an act of worship, and therefore I take it up and I'm responsible in it. I apply the grace-motivated effort to be faithful in my marriage. It looks like this, God, I lay down my job to you in worship. For it is a gift from you, and you desire to bless others through my work, and so therefore I take it up, and I am a hard worker, I am a faithful worker, I am diligent to work unto you in all that I do in my job. God, I lay down my children to you in worship, for they are yours. Take them up, bless them, and therefore, as I lay them down to you, I am going to take them up into my care, and I will train them in the Lord. I will point them to Jesus in all things. I will protect them, and I will love them. So we lay down and we take up, and God, I lay down my money to you. Everything I have is a gift of you. It is all yours, and therefore I take it up and I steward it well, faithfully, cheerfully, sacrificially. I'm generous, I'm faithful, and I'm a cheerful giver. That's what worship looks like, laying it down and taking it up. And unless we do that, we won't be fully satisfied when we get what we want because God loves us and he wants us to find our satisfaction in him. He won't allow us to be satisfied apart from himself. We are truly satisfied when we worship him. The way to view our money is often way too narrow. And that's what Paul wants us to see. And that's what I want you to see. That's what he wants us to see. That the way we view money and the way we view money, in, in, not in just in our personal lives, but also in, in all of our lives, and how we give and how we receive and how we spend and how we save, it's way too narrow. Paul wants us to think bigger. And he mixes these metaphors to show us that we need to think differently about it. I'm going to give you a, 
I'm going to give you three very brief stories of how I have come to understand money in my life through my experiences. And I want to share these three quick stories describing what shaped my view. And as you're listening to these things, I want you to think for your own self. How have you come, how have you come to understand money? How have you come to understand how to spend it, how to save it, how to give it? Through your parents, through your friends, through different circumstances. Because we all, we all act in a way because of things that we've borrowed kind of from, from our upbringing. So think about your stories. How were you taught to view money? Here are the events that shaped my life. The first one, I was a bank accountant for Highlander Fidelity Bank at my high school in Kentucky. Our, our high school, the accountant, you know, our business class, they said, hey, we should start a bank. And so we started a bank at the school, and I was the head accountant. And I loved it. I got to, keep, I got to like, collect everybody's money. And this is a way to get students to, to start investing and start to, saving, to save. And so they would, they would make a deposit, uh, into an account that I managed, and they would earn interest on it. And you know what the odd thing is? No one wanted to do it. And so we had to create incentives for people. We had to entice people. We had to bribe people. We had to say, okay, if you deposit $50 this week, everybody goes into a raffle for two prom tickets. And guess what? People started to give. I learned a trick that if you want people to be generous, you have to appeal to their selfishness that you have to appeal to their idea of what's in it for me. Now, as I go through these stories, I'm not endorsing any of these things. I'm not telling you that these are, this is the way to go. This is just my story. People have generally, what I learned, an idea of what have you done for me lately? What's in it for me? If there's something in it for me, then I will give. The next thing was a missionary moment when I was a kid and I was sitting in church and I leaned over, there was a, a missionary coming, he was talking about going on a mission trip and, and what he needed, and, and I thought it was really interesting. I was like, wow, this guy from a foreign land, and, and I look over, and my parents are writing a check, and from my perspective, it was a pretty big amount. And I lean over, and I said, whoa, why are you doing that? And my dad just leaned over me and said, so we don't have to go. <laughs> That's the second story. Like I said, not endorsing or anything like that. This is the way that it was. And then number three was kind of a grip it so you don't lose it kind of mentality. You know, I'm one of seven kids. So there were a lot of things uh, that maybe uh, mo- that most kids, most, I mean every kid in high school except me, got to participate in that I never got to. Like I never got a yearbook, you know. You never got a yearbook? Never did. I missed out. <laughs> Another thing was, you know, school pictures. You know, something that was really fun. You, you looked forward, you got your picture, and then you waited for the pictures to come in, and everybody got this big envelope with all these, like, wallet-sized pictures, and then there's a whole day where everybody exchanged class pictures, right? I never got pictures. No. This, is, this explains <laughs> everything. And so I learned we never had, we never had money. Or if we had it, we ne- my, my dad never spent it. And... There were things that we didn't do. We didn't go to the movies. We didn't go out to dinner. We didn't do a lot of things because it was so expensive for a family of nine. And so I learned then every single time I got a penny, uh, I didn't want to waste it, and I kept it, and I held on to it tight, and I always waited for that perfect moment. What do I spend this on? I don't want to waste it because when I spend it, it's gone, and I have so little of it. And so I waited, and I waited, and I waited. Middle school, high school, saved up money. You know the thing I bought finally? Really, like the first thing I ever bought, engagement ring for my wife. You're thinking, hey, good job, you did it, good thing. <laughs> but I want you to see the sad side of this story. 
I paid for an engagement ring with my middle school money. <laughs> I, didn't buy, <laughs> I didn't buy anything. There is nothing loosens your grip on your money like a pretty girl. <laughs> All of these experiences left me with very valuable lessons, right? Very valuable things. It's made me who I am and how I view money. There was virtue in them for sure in every single one of these things, but each of them lacked something very, very important. Think of the, the bank scenario, the Highlander Fidelity Bank. It lacked friendship, didn't it? There was an attitude of what have you done for me lately or what's in it for me, and that's not how friends act. Friendships sacrifice for one another. There is a reciprocation. Paul says there's a giving and a receiving. We are serving each other, so none of this, what's in it for me, that's not a friend. Paul says, I want you to see that money is an instrument for friendship, not in a manipulative way, not in an abusive way, not in a, even a tit-for-tat kind of way. I'll scratch your back, you scratch mine. It is, a, it is in a way of true, meaningful friendship. One who only gives is not a friend, but a mentor or an investor. One who only receives, that's a consumer. And at worst, a parasite who only takes, who only comes and says, what do I get out of this? Paul says, we want to pursue friendship where we give and receive with joy. Now the example of my parents. You know what this lacked? It lacked a real understanding of God's mission. You know, there was faithfulness. There was generosity. But it lacked this idea of mission, that they were, they were giving faithfully, but they lacked a view that their sacrifice was doing so much good. It wasn't just to get out of something. It was to engage in something. They didn't understand the true impact of their gift to advance the gospel around the world. A joy of this is, this is how we are called. This is, how, this is what we can do to impact the gospel, to advance his kingdom. That by being faithful, that by, by participating in that work, even though they weren't going, there could be a tremendous amount of fruit and they could be excited about that. Now, to their credit, this was my experience from a very young age. They could have been doing it right. Maybe I saw it all wrong. I want to put that in there in case they listen to this later. And the last one was the gripping God's money way, you know? Well, this is easy. You know what this lacked? It lacked worship. I was holding so tight onto my money that I couldn't worship with it. I was motivated by fear. I was motivated by the fear of losing it and wasting it that, I, that, it took, that I never enjoyed it while I had it. You see, my heart was motivated by preserving what little I had rather than being a good steward of it. And there's a lot that I could have done better with it. So how do we respond to this? This is where we're going to close the whole book. How do we respond with this kind of teaching as it relates to money in our whole life? And here's the good news. The same way we respond to everything else in Scripture. We look at it and we, we search our hearts in light of Scripture. And we, we are honest with ourselves. And on this pursuit of Christ, we look at our life and say, what has God, what does the wisdom of God ask me to do? What does it look like to worship God? What does it look like to pursue friendship? What does it look like to engage in God's mission with my money? And then ask ourselves, are we doing that? The two most important questions that, I've, that I ask people when they come to me with trouble or lack of discernment or needing an answer, I say, what, what has God told you to do? And the second question is, are you going to do it? Sometimes it can be that easy.
Well, what has God asked us to do? We see it here real plain. So are you going to follow? Are you going to do it? And then the, the second thing is we make the proper adjustment in our life. We make the spiritual adjustment in our heart and in our mind, the way we think about things. We repent of our bad patterns and our, uh, the way we neglect to worship God or pursue friendship or engage in God's mission. And then we say, God, I'm going to make changes. And like Paul, we say, I'm a work in progress, I'm going, but I'm going to go in that direction. I'm going to pursue him. I'm, I'm going to be faithful to him. And the third thing is we enjoy the contentment that comes from knowing that we are being faithful to what God has asked. The contentment of knowing that as a result of our faithfulness, that God is pleased with that offering, that he is doing work, that we are, have a clear conscience because of our obedience and for some of you, that adjustment needs to, needs to be made uh, not materially. For many of you, you're like, hey, I'm, I'm there. And, and many of you do. We have such great, generous, faithful givers. But this adjustment might not be in, in, in what you give, but, but why or how you give. This adjustment might be in your heart. You see, maybe you've just set up online or elsewhere just like an automatic giving, and you don't even know. You, you give to the church, you give to missionaries, and the money just goes out, and you're like, I don't even think about it. But we're missing something there if we're not actually worshiping God as we give it. And so maybe the adjustment for you is, even though you give automatically, that you would find joy in that process, that you would think about it, that you would think of these missionaries, that you would think of our church, that you would be well aware that you are engaging in kingdom work, as an act of sacrificial love for other people, for people that have never even set foot in these doors, maybe. Enjoying the promise of God, the giving that is eternal and has effect on people, the giving that is a sweet aroma to God. And I thank you so much for those of you at Holy Cross that give generously, faithfully. Thank you. Thank you for investing in the people here. Thank you for investing in the gospel faithfully. Your gift is a blessing beyond what you or I will ever be able to understand. And for some of you, there's a grace-motivated effort that needs to be adjusted in your life where you need to look at these things and you need to, and you need to say, I have acquired ideas and values and, and habits with money that are not kingdom-minded, that are not faithful, that are not cheerful, and I want to change. For the glory of God and for the growth of my joy and the benefit of others I want to change. Here's my agenda, because I do have one. My agenda with his talk, I hope that it changes the way that you give. I hope that lives are changed because of how you change. I hope that God is glorified because of the adjustments that are made in your life today, this week, and, and following but I hope it changes the way you give because it's changing the way that you worship and know Jesus. And so that together we might enjoy his peace and joy until we ourselves are made complete in the presence of Christ himself. That's what I'm looking forward to. I'm looking forward to God exceeding our expectations of the fruit that could come from his people gathering in church, worshiping him, engaging in his mission, pursuing relationship with one another. I look forward to that. God's changing people. He's changing hearts. He's bringing people to know him. He's bringing people in the Holy Cross Church that said, you know, I thought I was a Christian for this many years, and I came here and realized I'm not. 
and I need Jesus, and I need to think about him in an entirely different way. We see people plugged into communities. We see people uh, sacrificing time and energy and resources to bless others, to give, to go overseas and to be on mission. God is working, and he's doing great things, and the promise we have is that the gates of hell will not be able to overtake it. That's the promise we have. Let's enjoy the pursuit of it as we pursue Jesus himself. Let's pray. For more audio and information, please visit holycrosstucson.com.